you would please grab your Bibles and turn with me to Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2, verses 11 through 22. <clears throat> Therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, who once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of uh, commandments contained in ordinances so as to create in himself a new man from the two thus making peace, and that he might reconcile both to God and in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off, and of those who were near. For through him we both have access by one Spirit to the Father. Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you are also being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. This morning, <clears throat> glad you can be out and be with us, and especially we are thankful for uh, our brother who's come our way. If you haven't gotten a chance to uh, meet Brother Chris Clark, he is uh, visiting with us, and you'll want to make sure that you do that, and we appreciate his coming and being with us today. As with every inspired text of the Bible, the letter to the Ephesian brethren, to the Church of Christ at Ephesus is full of godly wisdom, guidance, and commandments. It becomes clear as the student continues with the study of this letter, of Paul's text here, that the purpose of his writing was to help answer his prayer for the Ephesians. He asked God to bless them in certain aspects, and so he, in many ways, was the answer to that prayer, as is the case in today's world, right? We may pray for for someone to be alleviated of some kind of a burden in this life, and maybe we are the answer to that prayer that we might be able to alleviate that burden in some way. Of course, the, the prayer he asked on behalf of the Ephesian brethren was that they might know the hope of his calling, what that was, and, and what were the glory of the riches of the inheritance in the saints, Ephesians 1, 8. He wanted them to be able to understand that fully. It was very important for them to know what the hope of His calling was. What's the hope of our calling? We're called by the gospel of Christ, 
1 Thessalonians 2.14. And what, what's the end of that hope? Well, of course, that's eternal life. That's eternal life, an abode in heaven with the Father uh, throughout eternity. Of course, in the first half of the second chapter, uh, Paul began to speak to those brethren about the wonderful grace of God which was expressed in their personal salvation, verses 1 through 10. And then we pick up in verse 11, Brother Greg read for us, and he begins to speak in, in uh, uh, more uh, general terms as it relates to uh, salvation and as it particularly relates to Gentile salvation and how they can become or how they did become fellow heirs together in this hope. Of course, that's a very important section, isn't it? Very important section as it is directly related to what he would talk about in the next chapter, chapter 3 of the mystery of which he wanted to provide for them an unveiling as it were, to give them the understanding of what that mystery was. Ephesians 3, 3-6 is no longer a mystery today. At one point it was a mystery and that's, that's why Paul referred to it as a mystery. In the old time, the prophets of old didn't completely understand exactly the fulfillment of what they were speaking. Isaiah, he talked about uh, a time when all people would come together. He didn't fully understand exactly what that was. Peter said even the angels in heaven looked into that mystery wanting to understand more about it. But once it was unfolded and once it was revealed, beginning in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, now it's no longer a mystery. And so Paul wanted the brethren in Ephesus to understand what that mystery was and how he would unveil it to them. And of course, it's also very important because it describes each of us, doesn't it? We're Gentiles. We're not Israelites. We're not a part of that nation of people or that group of people. But it also does something else. It, it describes to us and it helps us to understand what our relationship is in Christ, if we're in Christ, through Christ, or if we're outside of Christ. He helps us to be able to understand what those conditions are, what those consequences are of both of those aspects, in Christ or outside of Christ. And I think it is a wonderful thought for us to think of and, and to deliberate on how anyone who desires can be fellow heirs together. We can inherit that promise. Fellow heirs together in Christ Jesus. And of course it is possible to understand what it means to be a member of Christ's church, the church for which He died, and what is required to maintain that relationship. And we learn all about this in this passage of Scripture. But I think there's another aspect of the gospel of Christ that we should not uh, fail to recognize is that in Paul's speaking to these people, there's no uh, he makes no difference to the background, does he? He mentions, of course, the Gentiles, but he mentions them as they are together with anyone who would obey the gospel, whether Jew or Gentile. It doesn't matter what our background is, does it? It doesn't make any difference whether we, where we stand socially or economically or racially or ethnically. It doesn't make any difference, and the Christian pays, pays no attention to that, do we? What the Christian sees are souls. 
We see souls. And we look at souls particularly in relationship to Christ. Now, does that mean there are no prejudices in the world? (laughs) No, that's not what that means. There are prejudices in the world. There are people who do not behave properly. I think Rudyard Kipling said it when he once said this. He said, Father, Mother, me, Sister and Auntie say, all the people like us are we and everyone else is they. That's kind of what the world looks at it, doesn't it? We see it, and I noticed in the news just recently there was a, a, a person who used to be an ESPN commentator. She said, uh, all black a- athletes ought to leave all predominantly white schools. She's, she's calling us back to segregation, brethren. That's not what God wants. We are one, or we can be one in Christ, can't we? It surpasses ethnic boundaries. It surpasses racial boundaries. It surpasses social boundaries and economic boundaries. Those people who came together on that first day of Pentecost following Christ's resurrection, they all came together, and a lot of them didn't have the necessary things to remain once the church was established. So they had all things in common. They gave to one another as they uh, would give to one another as they deemed necessary. Now, that doesn't mean that the Bible in some way has endorsed this idea of socialism. Far from it. Far from it. How do we know that? We can't rely upon it because that's what the preacher said. We see him having all things in common in Acts chapter 2. Well, let's go over a few more chapters and to chapter 5, and we learn of a person called Ananias and his wife Sapphira, right? And they sold a piece of property that they had and they gave a portion of it to the, uh, to the church. But what did they say? We gave it all. They wanted to be lauded for being such great Christians. They wanted to pat on the back. And do you recall what Peter said? You've lied to the Holy Ghost. Was it not yours to do with what you wanted? So we're not talking about some kind of a socialistic effort. We're talking about simply... People having therefore the opportunity to do good unto all men, especially those of the household of faith, Galatians chapter 6. But that's the way a lot of the world thinks. But what do Christians see? Brethren, we see souls. We look out into the world and we see souls. And that's the way that we believe. And more importantly, we see souls as they are in relation to our Savior, Christ Jesus This morning I want us to dig a little bit into what Paul had to say about being heirs together in Christ Jesus. And that's the title of the sermon, Heirs Together. And how we're able to accomplish that most important task. And I want us to begin with the position in which all people find themselves when they are not in a proper relationship with Jesus. Like the Gentiles during the Old Testament time, they were beyond Christ. That's our first point. The Gentiles of the Old Testament were beyond Christ. Those who are in the world today who are not Christians are beyond Christ. Those who have obeyed the gospel and have become unfaithful are beyond Christ. But let's particularly talk about these Gentiles for a moment and how uh, life was for them prior to the church coming into existence. They were, Paul said, aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. What's an alien? Someone who's not part of that particular nation, right? They are an alien. 
They come in from somewhere else. They weren't uh, a part of that. They aren't naturalized in some way. Now that could happen under the under the law of Moses. A person could be what we would refer to as naturalized. It's proselytizing. They could become a Jew. They could go through that conversion process. They didn't have to do that. They could become what is also known as a stranger in the gate. I think that's what Cornelius was. He was a stranger in the gate and he practiced that religion as far as he was able not being a proselyte. But the Gentile did not enjoy a covenant relationship with God during the days of the Old Testament. They were Gentiles. They weren't in a covenant relationship. The promise wasn't made to them, right? They weren't a part of Israel. They weren't given that promise. They didn't have a covenant. There wasn't a special relationship, as it were, with them. And when we look at this idea of heirs together, together is a very important word, isn't it? Together is an extremely important word. That means they were not with them. They were not together. They weren't the chosen people. They weren't those who God chose to send the lineage down through which Christ would enter the world. They were not a part of the promises and the covenants. It wasn't extended to them. And they were never comforted with these words. Turn with me to Genesis 17 beginning with verse 7. Genesis 17 beginning with verse 7. They were never comforted with these words. And I will establish my covenant between me and you in your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. Also I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Of course, that's the promise that God extended to Abraham. Through Abraham, and we need to keep this in mind also, and it connects directly to what Paul was talking about here. That promise was extended to all the families of the world, and that would eventually happen when Christ came into the world and died for the world. That promise had two aspects to it, didn't it? It certainly was meant to to Abraham's lineage. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, it was renewed each time one of those men came into the picture and took the place of the one before them. you know, we need to keep in mind that also that Abraham, Jake, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they were not Jews either. They were not Jews. They were patriarchs. They were referred to as Hebrews, those who came from across the river, right? But they weren't Jews. In Vacation Bible School, we often sing that, that children's song, Three Wandering Jews. Well, they weren't Jews. They were patriarchs. But they became through Abraham's lineage, through Jacob's twelve sons, they became the twelve tribes of Israel. But that promise was extended to those to whom Paul was writing in our text. Absolutely, to those who were far off. We read in Acts chapter uh, 2. It was a promise that would eventually take the Gentile from being away from Christ, being beyond Christ, to being... Away, See, that's the problem when a person is away. That's the issue. They went from being away to alongside, didn't they? And that's the blessing. 
We can be alongside Christ. We can be alongside each other. And we can be heirs of the promise given to Abraham. We, in fact, as Gentiles, have been given hope. The world is predominantly Gentile, aren't they? The world was predominantly Gentile when Israel was uh, God's chosen people. And that is something that Paul specifically said the Gentile lacked in time past, hope, right? You're apart from God, you're away from God, and there's no hope in this world. There's no hope of everlasting life. Having no hope and without God in this world. Can you imagine? And we can, can't we? Have you ever felt as if there was no hope? Whatever the circumstance may have been, and it may not have particularly related to our eternal salvation, but any other aspect of this life, we just look and we say there's no hope. You know, they didn't have hope because most of the entirety of the Gentile world rejected God and they were wholly idolatrous. We can go back to Abraham when he was asked to leave his father's house, the Ur of the Chaldeans, he left because it was wholly idolatrous. How could God manifest and protect the people from those things if it was created in amongst those things? So he left. He went over to that promised land, the land where God said, you load up and leave and I'll show you how to get there. When you get there, I'll tell you that you're there. What great faith in that man. And he went and he did that. So they were wholly idolatrous and they chose not to seek God. And... We need to understand, though, that God was not without witness in this world, Acts 14, verse 17. God's always been uh, had a witness in this world. We can look around and understand that there's something out there. Now we need to dig into to His Word to find out who He is and what He wants. But God's always had a witness in this world. But they chose not to seek after God. They chose not to take advantage of what God had to offer. They chose not to be heirs together with what uh, God wanted them to be and through the promises that He left. Again, anyone who wanted to to be a stranger in the gate or anyone who wanted to proselytize to the Jewish religion was able to do that. There were provisions for that in the law of Moses. But when Christ brought the Gentile alongside the Jew, it was at that point they had hope in this world. They had God in this world. And it was extended throughout their people. And it extends down to us today. They could be one people, both Jew and Gentile. Gentile, uh, they could be combined into the one body of Christ, verses 13 through 16 of our text. But how was Jesus able to bring separate peoples into one body? We need to think about that. He broke down that which bound them apart. Right? He broke that which bound them apart. They were beyond Christ and they were bound apart from Christ. He broke that down. In fact, he removed what our text calls the middle wall of partition. The middle wall of partition. I want us to think about beyond just this academic level of what did Christ do. Well, we can make that statement in just a few seconds, can't we? He came to earth, he lived as a man, he gave himself in the hands of murderers, he died on the cross, he came up out of the ground, and now he sits in heaven ruling over his kingdom, and that's all academic, and we can think about that and push that aside and have no personal involvement in that if we choose. But we need to understand how he removed 
that middle wall of partition. Of course, he spoke of the old law. That was the law and commandments contained in the ordinances found in the old law. Now, that's an important statement in itself. When we talk to those who are Sabbath keepers, such as uh, the Seventh-day Adventists, and I'm not disparaging them, I'm just talking about those who claim to keep the Sabbath in, in parts of the old law, they, they want to, want to uh, separate the two. You, they say, well, you have the ceremonial law. That's why they don't offer animal sacrifice today. It's why they don't burn incense and, and do the, the ritual washings and things like that. Then they say, well, then you've got the Ten Commandments. That's not what Paul said here, was it? It's the commandments in the ordinances. The ordinances were those, quote, ceremonial aspects. It was just one law. Just one law. Christ removed that. We need to remember what Paul told those in Rome, right? They removed this separation. He said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, Romans 1.16, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, to the Gentile. And so he removed that. Now no longer is there a separation here. That enmity between the chosen physical people of God at one time and now the, the rest of the world, we've become the spiritual nation of Israel, haven't we? Now we are God's chosen people in one body, and that includes each of us. We can be a part of that if we choose. I want us to think about that for a moment. Let's allow that to sink in without Jesus having given himself into the hands of those wicked and sinful people to be brutalized and to be murdered. I've been noticing the last several months that in the United States, uh, many of the states uh, who have uh, uh, adopted the use of capital punishment, they've been exercising that pretty regularly this year. And uh, I'm in favor of capital punishment. This isn't a political class, but I believe what Paul said in Romans chapter 13. At any rate, we look at what those people did. We look at the murder and the persecution that they foisted upon some innocent person. I noticed that uh, the last person, I think it was in Texas, he had kidnapped a young girl and he beat her to death. He left her for dead in a ditch. Her mother said that after he left her, she tried her best to claw her way up out of that ravine. In fact, she tried so hard that it tore the fingernails right out of her hands as she tried to claw her way back up to the roadway where she might receive help. She didn't make it. She died in that ravine all alone because some ungodly, worldly person who chose not to be a part of God's people, who chose to live in contradiction to God's laws, decided to brutalize that young lady. And we get all in an uproar over that, and rightly so. And we think that person ought to have his life taken from him, and rightly so. Now I want us to think about what Christ did for us. He suffered even worse than that, didn't he? That's hard to imagine because we're not very familiar with the things that they did to Christ at that time. That doesn't happen in our world today. We don't see the, the, the floggings, 
that Christ endured. We don't see that in this world. We don't see the, the cruelty of being hung on a cross and a live person being thrown across a wooden beam and having, uh, as it were, railroad spikes the size of driven into their wrists so they can hang there, into their, their ankles so they can be supported that way and to be hung there where, where they can't lift themselves up to take a breath and eventually they, in essence, suffocate to death. That's why they broke their legs so they couldn't push up to get a breath. And we need to consider how Christ tore down that middle wall of partition that allowed one body to be formed, to allow us to come together. And we ought to appreciate what He did for us because He removed that wall. He made that sacrifice for each of us, didn't He? We need to be able to look at John 3.16, probably the most well-known verse in the Bible, one of the most misused and misapplied verses in the Bible, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And we need to consider that. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son to be beaten and murdered and crucified and mistreated and abused on every level so we could be in one body that we might be saved. That whosoever believeth on Him. See, that's, that's how He broke that wall of partition down. Through obedient faith, God has given all people a way out of sin through those actions. Let's not just understand that on an academic level. He removed all that which separated us so we could be reconciled back to God. The preaching of peace to those who were far off and those who were near brought about and has allowed us to be heirs together of the promise initially given to Abraham. Initially given to Abraham. Through the New Testament there is a fluid message, isn't there? There is a fluid message. Anyone who wants to be reconciled can be reconciled. Isn't that beautiful? Recall what Paul told those in Galatia. Galatians 3 beginning with verse 26. For you are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Now brethren, he was not talking to the alien sinner. That letter was written to the churches of Galatia. Those who had obeyed the gospel... This isn't, this isn't the way a person becomes a Christian just simply by having faith. He's not talking to the world. He's talking to Christians. For we are all the children of God, Christians by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. That's what Paul was talking about. There's neither bond nor free. There's neither male nor female. You're all one in Christ. And if you be Christ, then you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. See, he told the same message everywhere he went. He preached that in every congregation. For through him, we have both access by the one Spirit to the Father. Ephesians 2.18 He preached that message to those in Rome. Romans 8.34 He went on to say that we have access to the Father. Romans 8, 26 through 27. He, tell, he tells us that there's no separation now when it comes to God's people. We are spiritual Israel. That wall has been removed. We're members of the one church, the church for which Christ gave His life, and the one of which we can be members. And He made that possible by extending salvation to the world because of what He did for us. Salvation comes 
and it was given to those who were beyond hope. It brought those together who had been bound by separation and He did it all by Christ. That's our third and final point. I think redemption to me is the sweetest word that we can read in the New Testament. Being redeemed, being bought back out of slavery. That's exactly what it means, doesn't it? To be redeemed. And that's what Christ did. No longer are God's people physical Israel. We've all been redeemed. We've been brought back. No longer is the Gentile an alien from the commonwealth of Israel. We are spiritual Israel and we're heirs together. I want us to think back to what Jesus told Pilate, John 18, verse 36. He said, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews? But now is my kingdom not from hence. There's a whole lot of things in that verse we need to recognize. We could spend all day on this one verse. It's a spiritual kingdom. Spiritual Israel. We're all a part of it, those who obey the gospel. Christ knew where He was going and where He was headed. And He still did it. And we ought to appreciate that. We ought to recognize what He's done for us. Pilate then asked Him, Then are you a king? Notice in the next verse what Jesus said. He said, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born. And for this cause came I into the world that I should bear witness Under the truth, everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. We could spend another day on that verse. Notice some things about that verse. Yes, he is king. He recognized who he was. He said, I was born to that end. What end? For this cause I came into the world. What cause? That I should bear witness of the truth. What truth? He was born in this world to simply die for us. That was the reason. And not a normal death. He didn't die in his sleep. He was beaten nearly to death, hung on a cross for hours, mocked. What cause? Our cause. The cause of Christ. So we can have heaven. So we can avoid hell. That's the truth, isn't it? There's a whole lot to that verse. Now we are fellow citizens with the saints who are members of the household of God. Verse 19 of our text. Christians, whether Jew or Gentile, are a part of that one body. Verses 20 through 22. And it's a holy temple in the Lord. That's who we are. What's the result of redemption being offered to the whole world? It simply changed everything, didn't it? It changed everything. And thank God for it. No longer are we without God in this world. No longer are we without the, the, the promises and the covenants. No longer are we outside of that enjoyment. Now God and Jesus dwell in the Christian through the Spirit, the same way the Spirit dwells in us. Ephesians 5, 18 and 19, Colossians 3, 16. Through the Word of God, we have them in our lives and in us. A word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Psalm 119, 11. That's how the Spirit dwells in us. Be filled with the Spirit, Paul said. Let the words of Christ dwell in you, Paul explained. And because of that, that's what we have. Paul told those in Ephesus how all spiritual blessings were in Jesus. 
Why? Because He died for us. He told those in Galatia, we're baptized into Christ. Why? Because He died for us. He told those in Rome after baptism, we're raised up to walk in a new life, Romans 6, 3 and 4. Why? Because He died for us. Now that's the plan of salvation right there, isn't it? Knowing the truth. Believing Jesus is who He said He was. John 8, 24. Repenting of past sins. Understanding what He did for us. And that ought to make me in a very personal way want to change my life. Confessing that He was and is the Son of God. That He died on the cross. That He came up out of the grave. That He's ruling over the kingdom right now. The spiritual kingdom of Israel. Being immersed in water to be freed from the bondage of sin. And living a faithful life. That's what God wants. Why can all of that happen? Because He died for us. I think there is another result we learn from Paul's message though. What's the condition of those who remain beyond Christ? What's the condition of those that are bound outside of Christ? What is the condition of those who refuse salvation by Christ? Well, it's not a good one. It's damnation. Those same people who refuse God and those who have left God after having obeyed the gospel find themselves in the exact same situation the Gentiles were in before Christ came in the world without hope in this world and without God. That's not what we want. There's no better place than to be a member of the Lord's church, a royal Priesthood, 1 Peter 2, 9. Living under the law of Christ, Romans 14, 1. Galatians 6, 2. James called it the perfect law of liberty, James 1, 25. Yeah, we live under a law. Just because the old law was done away doesn't mean we don't live under a law today. Why are we able to live under Christ's law? Because He died for us. No better place than together in Christ's church. We need to think about that. But we have to determine where we are. Am I in? Am I in the body of Christ or am I outside the body of Christ? Am I subject to all spiritual blessings or am I apart from all spiritual blessings? We learned how to do how to get into the body. We just talked about it. What about those who've become members but they've left, they've been unfaithful. Let's come back. Repent of those sins, confess them publicly if necessary, but Absolutely, we have to confess them to God. Ask Him to forgive us. If you need the prayers of the church today, if you need to come back or you need to obey the gospel, let that be known as we stand and as we sing.